0: Starting your own business and growing it to $50,000 a month in revenue is something that many of us have only dreamed of doing, but Jason Grishkoff has actually done it. Teaching yourself to code from scratch and then going on to build and design your own websites that attract millions of visitors is, again, something that a lot of people would love to accomplish, and Jason has done that too. Finding a magic bullet that kickstarts your business's growth into overdrive is something that most founders fail to achieve, but Jason has done that twice. I'm Cortland Allen, and this is the Indie Hackers Podcast, and today I'm going to be talking to Jason Grishkoff, the founder of indieshuffle.com and submithub.com. Jason has a ton of valuable stories and experiences to learn from, and we were only able to get about halfway through the list of topics that I would planned in advance to talk about, so you should definitely listen all the way through to the end of the episode, because some of his best advice comes near the end. Now, Hopefully, I'll be able to have Jason on again in the future so we can finish our conversation, but in the meantime, I hope you guys enjoy this one as much as I did. This episode is brought to you by SparkPost, the world's fastest growing email delivery service, trusted to send over 25% of the world's non-spam email. Built on AWS, SparkPost's robust cloud API lets apps and websites send and receive email and is designed for the way developers work today. Sign up now and send 100,000 emails a month for free, forever, with all the same features that come with paid accounts. Go to pages.sparkpost.com slash ndhackers to learn more. SparkPost. Start fast, deliver more, guaranteed. Okay, what's up, everybody? I'm Cortland with the ND Hackers Podcast, and today we've got Jason Grishkoff, the founder of SubmitHub, with us. How are you doing, Jason?
1: I am peachy. How about you?
0: Doing great. You're joining yes. us
1: all the way from
0: Cape Town, South Africa, Indeed. which is amazing.
1: Yeah, and it's about 10 hours later over here than it is where you are.
0: Yeah, so it was fun trying to schedule this and figure out how to, how to sync up our time zones.
1: No, it's easy, man. I, I, I guess I have to deal with this pretty often because uh, the internet is is global, but still quite U.S. centric. So yeah, it is. It's pretty normal. Yeah.
0: So you, I've already interviewed for Indie Hackers back in October um, for SubmitHub, and back then you were doing forty-six thousand dollars a month in revenue after only running the business for eight months, which I think is awesome. Um, a lot of people with you. Being in that position, and SubmitHub is a way for uh, people who haven't read the interview. It's a way for artists to submit their music to be featured on popular music blogs and websites. Uh, is that correct, Jason? Would you say I've, I've got the gist of it?
1: That that is the main original essence of what the platform provided, and uh, today I think it still it still rings true. It's what I'm I'm still pushing,
0: and it's evolved a little bit, hasn't it?
1: A little bit. I mean, we, we also I think at the core of it, it's about connections and allowing musicians to connect with industry professionals with whom they would have had difficulty connecting in the past. And so that can be blogs, can be record labels, and uh, pretty soon I think it's going to be radio stations as well. Oh,
0: cool. Yeah, Wow, so you guys are just like super expando mode.
1: You guys. Yeah, yeah, like me. Yep. <laughs> you. <Yep. laughs> no, I've got, I've, got, I've got some support now, so we're okay. Yeah. Great.
0: So I want to start this interview by... Just asking you some simple questions, for example, uh, what is your whole life story up until this point, and how did you get to where you are now?
1: Oh wow, so simple um i think I think well, it comes back in a wonderful circle because you might be asking why am I in South Africa and uh-huh. um, I think listeners may have deduced at this point that I've got something of a weird accent that borders between American and something else, which is South African go figure um. So to sum it up in one minute, um, I grew up in South Africa, I went to a Waldorf school. So I've got a bit of a creative, uh, fundamental structure to my education. And in 1997, my family immigrated to the States. So my parents and I've got a younger brother as well. Uh, I think it was always inevitable because my father is American and so it was in the books that eventually we would move back to the States given that uh, I suppose it's almost cliche to say but the American dream right Uh, the few countries in the world that can offer as great an opportunity in educational foundation and future career as America can and so my dad always knew that at some point we'd be moving back to uh, to the States. So moved to California when I was 12 in 1997, went to high school, ended up at university in San Diego at UCSD, studied history and political science, and I decided I wanted to be a strategy consultant. So I, I did a bunch of interviews, and a lot of the guys, I was taking the angle that, uh, okay, so you know most of those guys have economic background, and I'm coming in with a liberal arts major. I was taking the angle that, Clearly, you want someone to think differently within your company, not just an economics background, but something more holistic, blah, 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 blah. And I got rejected, I think, close to 60 times. Oh, wow. I was, I was pumping out re- uh, resumes and cover letters as fast as I could. And I, I managed to get a few interviews, uh, I think, even at, at Bain and KPMG. Uh-huh. And I got flown out to the East Coast a couple of times to do interviews and every time I just got rejected. And eventually I found this, this consultancy in Washington, D.C. that did something called executive compensation, which I had been clueless about up until the time. But what their company did was provide consultancy for other corporations who needed to justify their exorbitant executive salaries. So they'd say, "Hey, right. we, we want to pay someone five hundred thousand dollars a year. Can you make it look like this is legit?" Um,
0: <laughs> Can you make uh, this look all?
1: Yeah. So so I got I got hired to do that, and I I went into DC, did it. Uh, it was a lot of Excel spreadsheets, collecting data, kind of pulling peer group samples, trying to shape the peer groups and comparisons and. Um, <laughs> Uh, right, right. I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> and, uh, I think my, my, my coworkers noticed I hated it. And one other thing, that, I think a lot of people might relate to this, but when, when you finish university and you, you leave, a lot of people move to different cities for jobs. And when you get to that new city, you often don't know anyone. Maybe you've got some weak connection from high school or a second cousin. Mm-hmm. And that was very much me in DC. I had no friends, I hated my life. I was depressed. I like left college, man. College is
0: the best, f-
1: epic, yeah. And and now I've left it behind. So when I was in DC working this terrible corporate job where I had to wear a suit every day, I decided to to kick off a blog just to keep in touch with my friends. And um, so that's how that's how Indie Shuffle was born. And and what's interesting about it is that Indie Shuffle actually led to me getting fired from that corporate job. And led to me getting hired at Google.
0: Oh, wow. I want to hear the, uh, the firing story first because I wasn't oh. aware of that.
1: Um, <laughs> so while I was working this, this gig, we would often have to travel to and from um, different jobs. Uh, and I remember we were consulting for Fannie Mae, no, Sally Mae and Freddie Mac. That's it. Something like that. Those, those big loan companies that were going out of business. This was about 2007, 2008 as the crash was happening. Ah,
0: the worst time.
1: Yeah, totally. And so we're consulting for these guys. And on these long commutes, I'd be sitting with my boss talking about this really cool blog that I'd kicked off to communicate with all my friends. And after a while, she, she stopped me you know, on the third or fourth trip kind of talking about the progress. And she said, um, I'm concerned that you're not focusing enough on your professional career. And instead, you're just playing around with a stupid website. And um, we have a major concern about that. And we think it's probably time that you consider quitting your blog. What? Yeah.
0: That's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> That's so...
0: <laughs> like you so just I'm are gonna... not allowed to do things outside of work.
1: Right. And so at that point, I was like, well, if you guys... I hate this job anyway. Go ahead. Put me on a performance plan. So they put me on a performance plan. Which is, I think anyone who's ever been on a performance plan, it's, it's a clear sign that you're on the your way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, oftentimes, it's because of a personality mismatch rather than an inability to do the job. But those two can be tightly interlinked. And in this case, every time I messed up at work, I had this... I don't know if you've ever heard of the halo and the horns theory? No. Okay, so it's Cool. It's, I, learned it, I learned it once I was at Google and it made so much sense but um, if you're at work and you do something really great out of, the, out of the gates you build up a reputation that you're always good at what you do and so when you do mess up people go, oh no, that's cool Jason, you know, everyone messes up it's cool if you messed up it's Like, remember that one time that he totally killed it we know he can do better than that it's great but if you've got the horns every little mistake you make becomes the biggest deal in the world and every time that you do something well it goes unnoticed so it's more like oh well finally you did something right and when you do mess up it's going yeah dude that's totally what i expect from you you mess up everything so so you had the
0: horns i take it
1: at this company i definitely had the horns um like most of my coworkers hated me i'll I'll give you Uh... the most ridiculous example i ever had was at lunch we were talking about something and I mentioned that one of my favorite things to do at UCSD was lie down on the grass and watch people walk by. Yeah, just people watching. And their reaction was, ew, ew, oh my God, that's so creepy. Why would you just watch people? And like, oh my God, like the bugs? Like, oh my God, how can you be? (laughs) And so... (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Right, and and so it's made me realize that oftentimes performance issues at work are very much so related to personality clashes and not necessarily just work, because everyone, no matter how good they are, messes up. And um, yeah, I think it's it's more about perception.
0: And in SF, they just call it culture fit.
1: Yeah. Um. At Google, they called it googliness but it was totally it was culture fit. Um. So anyway, I, w- I was on the the performance plan, and I got a LinkedIn message back when LinkedIn was cool. And it was from Google. And they said, we're trying to find someone to do executive compensation internally at Google. Are you interested? And (laughs) of course, you know, I had to catch my breath and (laughs) calm myself and go, "Um, dear Google, absolutely, yes. I would love to interview. Um, Funny that you email me. Executive compensation is my life calling. Uh, It's my passion. Uh, I'm doing very well at work. Uh, It's absolutely, they would hate to see me leave. Um, but I'm willing to interview just to see what it's about. Ah, That is awesome. And, uh, what a break. So yeah, I hope they're not listening now. Um, no, but it, it is so much about cultural fit and how that affects it. Because once I interviewed with Google at the time, they were still stuck in that phase of, of going through like 10 or 11 interviews for every candidate, which I think they've gotten a lot better at. And much of it was testing for cultural fit. And what I found as I was interviewing was that the people I was interviewing with were passionate about music. And here I was building a music blog on the side. And immediately that cultural fit kicked into place and I felt like I was welcome, like these were people I wanted to work with, like I might actually enjoy coming to work.
0: Right, Um, right.
1: So next thing I knew, this was 2010, Um, I was moving from DC back to California to San Francisco, and uh, I started at Google, which was friggin' rad, super cool.
0: Yeah, you mentioned in uh, the interview that we did earlier, you were meeting all sorts of like high-level Google execs, because your job was to determine their compensation, so you had to interact with them. Like, who did you meet?
1: Um, in my first week, I sat down with Eric Schmidt, who was still CEO at the time, and I thought that was going to be pretty normal, and it turns out it wasn't, mm-hmm. and... Um,
0: that's a pretty intense first meeting
1: no I I think I was it was and it wasn't it's sort of, I'll draw a parallel when you're working in the music industry and and you're actually quite entrenched in the blogging or you get to a point where I am if you have a chance to meet some of these great artists at this point I become jaded and I've sort of expected that it's normal and you break down that whole celebrity um, intimidation type of factor that kicks in and you no mm-hmm. longer feel it anymore. And so if I were to meet someone today, like extreme example, Barack Obama, you'd, you'd get this celebrity shell shock to it. And I think some people would feel that way interacting with Eric or Larry or Sergey. But because of the nature of what I was doing, I had taken it for granted in a way. I just thought it was normal. That's what I did.
0: So that's like a, a perfect segue back into Indie Shuffle, because I really want to pick your brain on Indie Shuffle. I think I could learn a lot from it, and, and our listeners could too, because it's a content site, kind of like Indie Hackers, uh, but you feature music, you know, new songs, curated playlists instead of business interviews like I do with Indie Hackers. Is that, uh, is that correct? How would you describe Indie Shuffle?
1: I think it's gone through a couple different phases, and uh, the content's always stayed the same. You're You're right. That's what we do. We feature good new music. Uh, there was a point where I was trying to position us as a music streaming service. And I'm shifted away from that because it's, it's a ridiculous statement when you're having to challenge against companies like Spotify and Apple Music and yeah. Google Music and YouTube Red and all these companies. Um, what we do at its core is we're, we discover the best new music, the stuff that you won't find on Spotify yet, the, the stuff that no one's heard of. And uh, we try to to keep the quality really high. And it's, yeah, I mean, it it keeps to the core element of what blogs in the music industry have always been.
0: Right. And I I totally agree with you on the high quality thing because I was on there yesterday uh, preparing for this podcast and I started listening to songs and I must have been on there for like an hour and a half just listening to different music that you posted on there, like checking out your playlist. It's an awesome site.
1: Sweet. That's the point. Yeah, you did, you, did, you did a good yeah. job. It's awesome.
0: Cool. Uh, so what is, what's the backstory on how you created Indy Shuffle? Because you had like a liberal arts degree in college. Then you went into consulting. At what point did you decide, maybe I should get into tech or creating websites? And in your interview, you know, you're talking about using React and Meteor. So you're a programmer today, but how did you start down that
1: path? I think if you chat to most programmers today in the... Late twenties, early thirties. Uh, I'm 31 now, so most of us. I'm
0: guessing you're a similar age. 29. Uh, I'll be 30 in March.
1: Cool. So similar, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say you've always really, since you were a cognizant individual, there have been computers around. Mm-hmm. MS DOS, Windows 95, and continuing through there. And for myself, when I was quite young. I was building Geo City sites for my band, like a high school band type of thing. Um, I was playing Counter Strike, and then I got into Counter Strike full time. And then next thing I knew, I was a professional Counter Strike player.
0: You were a I professional had... gamer. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really?
1: No, but this is before it was cool. This was like oh my god.
0: Yeah, yeah. I and played a lot of Counter Strike. I was I was terrible though.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, no. So I was professional. We were ranked. I was getting interviewed. And I got noticed by a company who was kicking off a server company. They were hosting servers for people to play on. And they needed someone to come in and help with their marketing. And I think that was my first entrepreneurial journey. I think it was about 17, 16 or 17. And they asked me to come in and help out with this. And they were two programmers running these servers. And what they wanted me to do was market it such that people would buy the packages so that they could play Counter-Strike on these servers. And coupled with the banned websites that I was working on, that was my first introduction to tech. And in a way, it faded because that company ended up getting DDoSed to hell by Chinese hackers. Oh, no. Um, which I think is part for the course in the gaming industry. And, and my partners, who are, I think, very technically advanced today, at the time, they were only 19 or 20, so they didn't really know how to battle a DDoS attack. no no so it oh, was much harder uh, back then too yeah so um that ended up fading on and through most of university i actually didn't really touch tech it wasn't until i moved to dc and kicked off the music blog that i i began to dabble in coding again and from high school to the blog a lot had changed i, I don't know if you ever like, messed around with GeoCities sites but i recall you had to create like different iframes within your website if you wanted to have a <laughs> sidebar and a top menu and then if you wanted to have angled things you would you would make it in paint shop and then like, copy the image over and
0: yeah, it yeah. Was the old days were rough Janky. i was making uh, websites in the 90s just for fun or for a school or for my parents friends and i remember the pre css days when everything was a table so you had to add table rows and table <gasps> cells if you wanted to shift
1: things over But I was such a rookie, I couldn't even told you what a table was. (laughs) I I had no idea. I probably didn't learn that until two months ago. Um, So what happened was when I launched Indie Shuffle, I I got kind of hooked on building a better and better platform on which to present my discoveries. And I was sourcing most of my music through BitTorrent at the time on a really cool platform called What.CD, which actually just shut down about a month ago. And I was uncovering a lot of really cool artists on this. I mean, this was before SoundCloud existed, before Spotify existed. This this was like an amazing time in the internet. And I wanted to present it in a better and better way. And I think that's how I started to get into coding was I, I built it on WordPress and I'd look at the sidebar or the theme that I did and I'd say, well, I want that background to be black or I want that text to be white or, and then I would have to go learn and, and enter the code and I almost felt like I was reverse engineering everything as if,
0: yeah, I understand that feeling. Exactly. That's exactly wasn't how that I like got
1: a, a Ben Affleck movie or something roughly in the early two thousands where you had to reverse engineer something. Probably. There's a lot I mean, of Ben maybe Affleck. Tom movies. Cruise. I don't know. And so I always felt like I've always tackled coding to the frustration of, of many of my friends who do code from, a reverse engineering angle, and I've never entrenched myself on the fundamentals. So I'm I'm probably a pretty frustrating person to talk to, from a coding side, particularly because most of these coders have never really built something cool. Right. As so shitty as I think the that's uh, yeah. there's this big divide
0: or kind of conflict. I follow Peter Levels on Twitter, as I'm sure many of our listeners do. And he's got this kind of a get shit done mentality when it comes to programming. And the first priority is really building your product, adding the features to your product, and getting them in the hands of users. Doing things like choosing the newest framework or writing the most unit tests, while those like matter in a professional software development environment, when you're a founder, I don't want to say it doesn't matter. It does. Having good, good code is actually very important and will save you time in the long run, but If you obsess over it, then you're going to be neglecting other parts of your business that are extremely critical.
1: It it matters so much. And at the same time, it matters not at all. And I I think I got at this in the original interview we did. For me, the MVP is so essential. Build your product first, worry about scalability and how to develop it thereafter. Because you shouldn't be worrying about scalability when you have zero users exactly it doesn't a matter waste yet of time and i know you might be kicking yourself in six months when you go oh crap we have to rewrite the whole thing but what a wonderful position to be in and you're never going to get there if you spend 12 months trying to craft the perfect framework because i guarantee you by the time you get to the 12 month mark before you launch you'll be like oh crap someone just launched a better framework
0: exactly it's uh so i think people just underestimate the difficulty of actually building a business and building a product that customers want to use. And so they feel like it's okay to spend their wheels on all sorts of other tasks. And I think these other tasks just are more tractable. If you're a programmer, you're used to deciding on the language and framework and structure of your code. And so that feels like an easy thing to do. But at the end of the day, it's irrelevant if the product you're building or is... Or
1: things like ownership shares and stuff like that. Too. Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, these are just irrelevant details that I mean, they have an effect, but at the end of the day, like you said, if you don't actually build a product that people want, if you're not putting on your marketing hat and figuring out how to do sales and figuring out who your users are and talking to them and understanding your product, then all this other stuff is completely irrelevant and just a waste of time. I mean, people will spend literally days or weeks deciding on what their name is and what their logo should be.
1: Oh, God. Do you know, to this day, SubmitUp still doesn't have a logo.
0: Yeah, I noticed that because I always do the logos for the indie Hackers interviews, and I remember doing yours, and it's just like the word SubmitHub. You're the, like one,
1: yeah, you're the only one who's made a logo for me. Thanks. <laughs> 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 but um, I, think, I think you get to the point of, um, of after that interview, a lot of people reached out to me uh, trying to get me to code parallel systems for them. And a lot of them had some pretty cool ideas for how SubmitHub could apply to different industries. But th- I think the, the crux of it is, okay. is A, I don't have time to do that I'm working on my own thing and, and B, I'm really not concerned about their ability to spin it out and do it on their own or competitors for that matter because this takes so much work to build up that I don't think anyone's going to be able to just come along and copy it so, No um, And it's funny actually yesterday literally yesterday I discovered another website called Submit. To blog.com. And what's hilarious about it is if you go visit it, the title tag is still Submit Hub because they have copy pasted all of my code and just tried to replace it with their own oh stuff. Oh my God,
0: I just opened it up and it's, you're right, it says Submit Hub. Yep. And they've, they've that just is ridiculous.
1: It. And um, they're launching soon. They've got a Twitter, they've got a Facebook, but I guarantee you, they have no idea how it works once you log in. <laughs> what does a blog see how does a blog filter through submissions um what's the copyright process look like they don't have a copy they don't even know that exists because i've never really talked about that outside of the platform and you probably don't even know but there's a there's a robust copyright sign off thing that like spits out pdfs and does all this fantastic stuff within SubmitHub, so right. that channels can upload to their youtube or their soundcloud and uh, without legal issues
0: and yeah they're just copying the, the tip of the iceberg
1: and they Dude, this no guy idea. saw this and he's like, oh, it's such a great idea. I could do better than that. <laughs> and I, I welcome that. I welcome that because, Jesus, this takes a lot of work.
0: Yeah, it really does. Yeah. So, anyway. I, I just think the entire phenomenon of people copying all the superficial features of a website or a business and thinking that that's going to be enough for them to succeed is, it's just indicative of the fact that people really, really are bad at understanding what it is that makes a business work, right? They Like I said earlier, they do the things that are tractable, that seem easy, and because they don't see other things that are going on behind the scenes, they just assume it doesn't exist. And that goes for people who are ripping off websites, but it also goes for people who are building businesses for the first time and end up spinning their wheels on all sorts of mundane tasks that aren't important. So don't worry about the copiers.
1: Imitation is the highest form of flattery, and I really welcome them to try, but and it's very true. It looks, there's so many better developers than I am out there who could. They would look at my code and go, "Dude, that's not how you write React." Ugh, who cares? And my answer to that: would be, Well, it works. So, <laughs> it's
0: the ends justify the means in a sense. They do. So, I mean, I think people are really just asking the wrong question. You know, they're trying to solve the wrong problem. They're just solving the problem they're used to, which is, how can I be a successful and productive software developer? When the question you need to be asking if you're an indie hacker, if you're starting your own business is, how do I build a successful business? And that is a very different question that's going to oftentimes have different answers. So yeah, that's just something that people don't really get, and programmers especially.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Anyway, that's how I learned to code. I reverse engineer everything and, and try just make it work.
0: Yeah, it's super cool to hear how you've learned. And I, there are all sorts of different ways to learn. For example... I've taught four people how to code, including my brother, um, in the past few years. And all of them wanted to get jobs within six to eight months. So they'd come over and I'd just teach them in my living room and give them assignments. And three out of those four ended up getting full-time jobs working at startups in the Bay Area. But far more common than than having a tutor or being taught, I think, is for people to be self-taught, right? To do like you did and reverse engineer. I mean, I went personally, I went to school for computer science, which was great. But that was more theory than anything. And from a practical standpoint, I was programming and creating websites as a teenager way before I went to school. So if you're listening and you're not a programmer, but you're considering learning, I think that you should totally go for it. Because, I mean, hopefully my background and Jason's background are inspiring. But you could just start by learning something useful but bite sized, like HTML or CSS, which you can grok the basics of, and I mean, the absolute basics in just a few hours. And if you're making a website or paying somebody to make you a website or using WordPress or something, just that tiny amount of knowledge, I think, will help you. Uh, And the other thing I want to say is don't be discouraged by people online who are going to be telling you that you need a ton of knowledge and that, you know, these people who obsess over best practices and that say that you need to do everything the exact right way, et cetera, et cetera, because that's just, it's crap. Like, the number of companies that are amazing today that were started off of pretty crappy code in the beginning is uh, staggeringly huge. So... It's totally doable.
1: And it's fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, especially um, once you get the hang of it.
1: I have, I have three anecdotes coming into mind. The first one is um, coding's cool because it's a micro reward system. So you're constantly working on small little pieces. And every time you finish them, you feel good. Um, I can't remember the other two, but one of, them, one of them was, and this is interesting. The reason I got serious about coding was because I hired a team in Bangladesh, six people, I hired them full-time for one year to rebuild Indie Shuffle from scratch and get us off WordPress. And it was the most frustrating experience I've ever had and I am so grateful I did it because I had to jump in so many times to fix things that I learned how to code properly. Well, not technically, but I actually learned how to do things and so at the end of one year I was able to say guys thanks for setting up the framework and everything I need as a foundation and from here I'm just going to tear it apart mess it up and make it work the way I want it to and it was cool because up until then I was thinking this was after I quit Google I was like sweet I got some money signed some cool contracts with Indie Shuffle for advertising I'm gonna hire a team and um, everything fell apart so I ran out of money and I had to take that coding into my own hands. And it's, yeah. I was able to do it because I was constantly trying to fix things that I didn't like about the Bangladeshi's approach. Not because they were doing it wrong, but just because I was a nitpicky client. Yeah,
0: exactly. You're probably yeah. a perfectionist, I imagine. Yeah. So back to indie shuffle, and on, on, let's talk about the growth side of things. Because you mentioned that when you launched in shuffle you got kind of hooked on this game as you called it of generating visits what were you doing to grow and shuffle as a blog and to make it more popular
1: oh man this is like the secret sauce that people look for right
0: right that's <laughs> the number one do question. you want to
1: know the answer yeah the answer is that there is no secret sauce it's just about persistence you have to attack it from any angle you can constantly push things and just see where it works And so, I'll give you some examples of what I did. Uh, I learned quite early on that the more I published songs, the more people visited. So, I Mm -hmm. learned up front that pumping out content generates more traffic, both from SEO and just from the existing fan base who want to come back and see what's new. Um, In a way, blogs have died today, but Facebook has sort of replaced this where they've got this wonderful thing on... God, I hate Facebook as an aside, but... When you're on Facebook, that home button at the top is constantly updating with like a plus 20 or 13, so you can see these new stories coming up. It's
0: absurdly addictive.
1: And Right, but blogs were trying to capture an early essence of this, where you could visit every day, and sometimes twice a day, and sometimes three times a day, and you'd see new content. And so I learned early on that the more content I could push out, the more visits we would get. But naturally as as one individual working an executive compensation job that was a bit difficult so what i did was i took any revenue that indie shuffle earned and i pumped it back into paying people to post content for me uh, like a modest amount ten dollars per review and uh, i was able to run it sort of a a zero profit type of thing Mm -hmm. but my target was two posts per day and then five posts a day and then Roughly two years into running the website, I was, I was nearly at 10 posts per day. and That's huge. Was, it was with knowledge that with everyone you do, maybe one out of 10 will blow up, but the other nine are going to bring in some incremental traffic and they're going to keep the people who use your website satisfied. So that's one thing I did. The second thing I did was constantly improving the website, and I'm still doing that today, seven years later, eight years later constantly improving things, making it work better, faster, more fluidly, more intuitively. And I think me as a user, I I really love it when I visit a a website I use all the time and they've changed something like a design Mm -hmm. element or it just looks slightly different and it feels fresh and new. And so with Indie Shuffle, I've been keeping that up. We've gone through countless redesigns, which have all been pretty much done by me while I'm stoned. And
0: (laughs) well, the design looks really good.
1: Thanks, man. I was still... It's a
0: beautiful website.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I find that for um, inspiration, when I'm trying to do a new design element or something different, because I'm so involved in a site from day to day, it helps to try and step back and look at it from a different perspective. And um, eating a space cake can do that for you. And then, <laughs> and then you'll spend like the next two months trying to process through that that vision that you had that night. But I think what you see on Indie Shuffle today has a lot to do with that. Um, that's, that's awesome. And then, and then the third is like inbound traffic. How do you get people to visit your site who aren't already users, who who don't love the platform itself? And and that spans from SEO to social networking. And there's, there's no real magic arrow there. You just have to consistently keep trying to hammer it from every side. So solid SEO is a great one, but... You've experienced this too on, on Hacker News. A successful post on Hacker News can like make or break that article. And a lot of it has to do with the timing that you publish that on there and the content and the way you write the title. And unfortunately today, like clickbait has become pervasive on the Internet. But hopefully in two years, it will be something completely different. And that's the bottom line is people are looking for a magic bullet and it, there isn't one. It's about... So waking up every day and just attacking it from many angles.
0: And that's that's funny because that really is the magic bullet. Then realizing that you're going to have to do some exploration and you're going to have to do some work, and that the first thing you try won't necessarily be the best way to grow your business. I know with indie hackers, for example, I've tried tons of channels. I posted on all sorts of different forums and communities and social media, and the one that works the best for me by far is Hacker News. And I would not have realized that if I didn't try that along with a bunch of other things. So I'm curious, with ND Shuffle, is there any sort of channel or strategy that was better than all the others?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It was uh, a website called Hype Machine, which is still quite big today, but what they do is they aggregate, uh, sort of like a form of an RSS feed, like Dig. They aggregate all the music blogs, and they've handpicked who gets to be in there. So it's not all the music blogs. They've got, I think, about 700 in there who they've handpicked. And what they do is they try to collect information on what those blogs are posting and then bring it all together cohesively to say something like, 30 blogs have posted about this song in the last two weeks. And their charts are really influential, have been for the last few years, in what you listen to today. The things that you kind of see at Coachella and music festivals, etc., many of those discoveries have made their way to the forefront through hype machine and indirectly because blogs who hype machine scans have covered them so if if a, if 30 blogs pick up on a single track hype machine is going to indicate that and all the record labels and spotify and apple etc are still to this day watching hype machine for their cues on who they should be paying attention to now like who's next and um it's changed quite a bit over the last year. I think SubmitHub is, has actually played a role in how that's changed. But for us, Hype Machine, through all its different iterations and its evolution, has been one of the strongest uh, kind of foundations of our traffic and why we have visitors today. It's because we used to be up and I think today we're the most followed active blog on Hype Machine. And that's because in the early days I was gaming the system. I was trying to hack it the same way you are. like. What uh-huh. time should you post? Uh, what title should you put in? I was trying to do all of that early on in 2010, 2011, and we were getting tons of traffic from it. We were getting two, or 3,000 visits a day. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful to Anthony and Hype Machine for providing such a cool product for the music industry. And um, I, that's an advantage I was able to leverage that I don't think many people can leverage today. Especially because they've they've lost a lot of their traction as well, thanks to Spotify.
0: So it seems like the overall story behind how Indie Shuffle grew was mostly just the content part. Just producing high-quality content at as fast of a rate as possible. And after that, uh, places like Hype Machine will pick up on it, which is a little bit of gaming, the system included. Yep. Um, But this reminds me that I wrote a blog post not too long ago. I think it was a few weeks ago. Uh, my November month in review, where I looked at everything that I did in November. And my original plan for November was to just hit every single distribution channel and constantly, all day, promote indie hackers and post frantically everywhere that I could think of. And at the end of the day, none of that ended up moving the needle as much as simply doing a really good interview and sharing it in the usual places. And I think this is probably the case for a lot of content sites or for anyone doing like a product or service where you're trying to also use content marketing to drive traffic. You can always find ways to game different systems and drive traffic, and that helps. But at the end of the day, if you don't have great content, or if you're not posting your content frequently enough, then people aren't going to come.
1: It's a bit of that 80-20 principle as well, right? Mm -hmm. So 20% of your content generates 80% of the traffic, but it's probably the other 80% that takes all your time. Yeah, exactly.
0: So you mentioned uh, SubmitHub kind of changing face in the music industry in a way and i want to talk about like how you how did you start submit up how did you even get
1: the idea it was out of frustration was the main reason i started it so as indie shuffle grew and grew um and it, it wasn't just me but we became the target of these massive campaigns to promote new artists and and it generated huge businesses for these these pr companies who could now charge money to clients and say look you try to email Indie Shuffle, but they never respond. But I know how to get a response from them, and it got to the point where late last year we were fielding something like three hundred plus submissions per day of people saying, "Hey, can we get on your blog?"
0: That's and, absurd. And
1: I imagine you're getting a taste of this now as well. As Indie Hackers grows, there are more and more people who, many of them, have interesting stories, and they feel like it would be a great fit for your blog. And they're acting in a self interested manner, but you on your side also have some interest in it. At a certain point, you just can't handle it anymore. You just don't, you only have the capacity for so much. And these guys are hammering you. So, Indie Shuffle was in this situation where we were getting 300 submissions a day, and, and I had created a fake email address, submissions at indieshuffle.com, where people could email us, and it just disappeared into oblivion. And that's why I pushed everything. Uh, I always knew in the back of my head that there had to be a way to harness that, and um, there were a few people who had approached me prior to that. Actually, um, I got some I got some flak for this from a guy who had approached me about three years ago. With um, he was partnered with the guy who started, who was employee number one at Dropbox. Yeah, I forget his name, but Aston Most. Seen that website? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, him and the other Dropbox guys were a couple years ahead of me at MIT.
1: Right, that's him. So he had been trying to develop an app that filtered your inbox for music submissions and put it all into a good feed. And so I I chatted with them a bunch and they were cool guys and I was like, this is a great idea. It's got solid potential. I just feel like you need to flush it out a bit more and do this type of stuff. And um, then I forgot about it. And... This frustration mounted in me more and more that I was getting bombarded, and so late last year I decided to develop an application so I could learn a new coding stack. I was—I felt like indie shuffle was dying in a way because uh, advertising revenue was was drying up. Because God, that's a whole different story. But display advertising is the death of the industry, and I hate it. Totally different tangent. And um, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to diversify. I wanted to put my eggs into a different basket. And so I decided to learn React and Meteor and build a stack on that. And I thought a great thing to tackle would be this problem of submissions. And um, full circle, like once our Indie Hackers interview went live, they emailed me asking why I didn't give them credit. And I had, I had actually forgotten about it up until that point. So... What's interesting is that they weren't the only one to approach me with a similar idea. There were a lot of people who realized that the whole industry of trying to contact bloggers was broken and that bloggers were feeling overwhelmed. And yet there was huge potential for anyone who did get featured by the blogs to make a career. And and so there were people trying to tackle this problem, but none of them were in the industry themselves and they didn't really understand how it worked. And so when they approached me, I would always kind of, roll my eyes and be like cool well let me know when you've got it up and running and um yeah flash forward last year uh, november 9th or so i launched this mvp where people could just fill out a form instead of emailing me i set up an autoresponder responder on the submissions at indie shuffle address and i said hey we don't check this you can fill out this little form right here on a website i've created called submit hub and we're guaranteed to listen. And then from my side, I had all those come through as a consistent feed where I could just hit play, give it a thumb up, a thumb down, and that was it. And so overnight, I went from ignoring hundreds of submissions to actually listening to every single one. And it, it changed the way that we blogged our music because we, we stopped paying attention to what everyone else was posting. We had so much already coming to us through this feed on SubmitHub. And I think, flash forward today, um, a year later, and there are about 250 other platforms using SubmitHub to to do the same thing. And so they've all, in a sense, they've stopped paying attention to what like, what everyone else is pumping out. And that whole idea of um, groupthink has has sort of died in a way, which is ironic because. People were concerned that SubmitHub would create groupthink, and I think it's done quite the opposite. It's given a rise to diversity in new music that hasn't been seen for a very long time. Yeah, that's a
0: lot, and it's all really interesting. And I, I think what stands out (laughs) to. (laughs)
1: Yeah, boom. How do you how do you say that cohesively? But. Lots of people had the idea, and 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 this was one of the first times to cohesively bring it together.
0: And what makes that so interesting to me is that probably the biggest filter between uh, founders and indie hackers and actually building a successful business is not the stuff that comes after they start the business, even though that's all extremely difficult. But most people get stuck in the like the idea phase, trying to pick an idea to work on or trying to come up with an idea in the first place, which can be difficult because not everybody has an obvious problem that's valuable to solve in their own life that they can learn from.
1: I struggled with it. I struggled with it. It didn't dawn on me instantly. I spent two or three months trying to hack different things together just to just because I wanted to do something different. And, and just one day it, it kind of was like, oh, yeah, I should solve this. Did you keep a list of
0: ideas while you were running Andy Shuffle, just because you always knew that one day you would do something different and SubmitHub was kind of at the top of that list? Or was it more of a process of, of figuring out... <laughs>
1: what Um, thing going into it i felt a bit panicked i think because indie shuffle was losing traction and today flash forward a year it's it's doing great i'm actually fine i feel very comfortable with it but at the time i was thinking jesus like this is my sole source of income i quit google for this and i'm right you know like median u.s income from this right now um that's not comf- like you don't feel good about that coming from the Silicon Valley, and so I was a bit panicked. and And SubmitUp was never at the top, no. But once once I clicked on the idea, I, I got so hooked, so hooked. I couldn't I couldn't stop coding, and I like I started dating my girlfriend at the time, and thank goodness she didn't. Like thank goodness it was early days, and we only had to go on dates once a week because <laughs> dude, the rest of the time. I, was, I couldn't put it down. I just couldn't. It's because that learning curve was so high. I was learning React for the first time. I was learning media for the first time. I was building a product from scratch, and it was just so cool. I was so hooked.
0: Yeah, I know that exact feeling. In college, I built my very first web application, and it wasn't anything super serious. I was just learning new things and having fun. Um, but at the time, Facebook had just released their API, Uh, So you could build apps on the Facebook platform. It was the very first time, very first release of the Facebook platform. And my roommate and I built this app that we called Fmail, which was super stupid. It was just check your Gmail and Facebook. But we did a good job on the design and made it look just like Facebook had basically built Gmail inside of it. And at the time, you know, when we got started, all I knew was HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, but I'd never done anything on the back end. So I had to oh, learn all this opinion. stuff about how to use I didn't APIs and I learned PHP from scratch and I learned about Ajax and I started learning about SQL and it was just this never ending, it was just yeah. I got so hooked because I mean this whole process of having an idea and working on it and then building it up from scratch, it's just so addictive, especially if you can get into a regular rhythm of working on it.
1: It gets you hooked and, and I think it boils back to that micro reward system that I referenced at the at the beginning of this interview. You, you get hooked on it yeah and, uh, it's almost like uh goodness it's, for that yeah <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah. it's
0: almost like uh like legos or something you know you build something and then it exists but imagine like if your lego creations then came to life because you build code and it's like constantly working in the background forever until you shut it off you know and yeah. so like having that we'll content then. feedback yeah our we'll break <laughs> it does that a lot yeah. uh so, uh one thing that happened after you did your text based interview for Indie Hackers was that I submitted it to Hacker News and it did really well and I can't remember what exactly I named it. It was something like how Jason Grishkoff built grew Submit Hub to, you know, forty thousand dollars in revenue in under a year. Yep. And a lot of people took issue with that. They said, you know, this is a stupid clickbait headline and it's unrealistic and Jason didn't build it in a year and it took him, you know, he had Indie Shuffle for seven years before that and without Indie Shuffle SubmitHub never would have happened, which is, to be fair, a valid point. Um, you know, so I just want to get your, your feedback. Yeah. You know, your comment on this without Andy Shuffle, would you have been able to build SubmitHub, and if so, like how long would it have taken you?
1: Um, I can I can answer that in two ways. The first way I can say no mm-hmm. because I wouldn't have cared about it. And I think that's a really important part about building an app is having some sort of attachment to it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people go into things trying to solve a problem and fill a niche because they want to build a business and they see an opportunity for it, but they don't really have any attachment to it. And they forget that in order to build that business, they're going to have to be doing this all day, every day, Saturday and Sunday for the next few years. And they got to not get sick of it. And don't get me wrong, I get sick of it all the time. But the fact that I can keep coming back to it is a testament to the fact that I actually, I I really love this industry and I love what I do in it. It's cool. I often catch myself going like, shit, I get to to, to sift through music all day and code. And I still make enough money to eat. That's rad. (laughs) And um, I don't take that for granted. And so, no, without Indie Shuffle, in this this answer, I don't think I could have done it. Uh, because it just just would have felt like another project that I was doing. Um, The other answer, let's just say that I really loved music, but I didn't have Indie Shuffle. Um, Gosh, it would have been difficult, but I... ah, Man, it presupposes that I knew how the industry worked. And the thing is, that's a very important part. Regardless of how much traffic Indie Shuffle gets and how many emails it gets, I knew exactly how blogs take their submissions what's it like to be a blog getting submissions because that's the problem i was trying to solve how do i make that an enjoyable and worthwhile experience and i mean the answer to that was to incentivize like blogs get paid to listen and i was the first one to do that in a sense and gosh no i'll take that comment back people will probably chew into that because i'm sure people tried but because the first one to make it work on scale, and, and a lot of that did have to do with the fact that people wanted to get on Indie Shuffle. So let's flip it differently. A lot of people are approaching and saying, Hey, why haven't you spun out SubmitHub into this industry? And I've thought about it. Like, what if I did SubmitHub for Instagram? Well, step one would be I'd have to get a bunch of stakeholders who are interested in doing it. And this is actually the, the, the phase I'm about to go through now for SubmitHub for Radio, which I, I'm planning to launch. Next year, we've done a bunch of interviews with people involved in the industry, but we can't really launch it until we've got a bunch of stakeholders on the radio side. So if right. I launch SubmitHub for radio and I've got two radio stations on there, like, come on.
0: Right, it's just not and enough.
1: I need, I need to launch with at least 10. And so now I have to go convince 10 people in the radio industry, of which I'm not a part, that they should start using SubmitHub to solicit their submissions. And... It's a similar thing, and I bring it back all to, to one core discipline of an entrepreneur, and that is discipline. Just discipline. Do it over and over, and keep doing those ter- terrible, mundane tasks that you don't want to do over <laughs> and over and over. Like To, to launch SubmitHub, I hand tailored more than 1000 emails to blogs it took me about four months five months of doing it every day Whoa. to get through this list like it didn't just launch overnight there weren't people begging at my door i had to go and like email these guys and they didn't respond so i would tweet them i would facebook message them i'd send soundguard messages i'd send another email then i'd try to find another contact and we're still sort of doing this today those those 250 blogs and labels didn't come overnight and right I don't want to I don't want to sound defensive on this and and I I read a lot of those comments and I understand where they're coming from. Could I have done this without Indy Shuffle? Hell no. Could anyone do this without Indy Shuffle? Yes. I mean like the bottom line is it all depends on how determined you are. And that determination can be mis- it can be misplaced. Don't get me wrong, people do that all the time. There are a lot of determined people out there who don't have success because they putting it into the wrong areas and which are the right ones i don't know this gets to my point earlier where like how do you generate traffic there's no magic bullet you just try a bunch of them because you never know which one's going to pay off and some of it's luck and some of it's not but like people some of those comments would like it rubbed me the wrong way because i put a ton of work into coding this i was able to funnel a lot of traffic from any shuffle and I had the reputation and I don't take that for granted. Both of those were mm-hmm. useful, but people didn't come flocking to me. In fact, they were incredibly skeptical about the system. Yeah. Um, and I didn't launch the money component until February. So that's, that's where this whole eight months number that comes in. Um, I, I didn't launch that until then, but people were very skeptical and it took a lot of work and, and like clever tricks in a way, I don't, I hate using the word tricks, but I was trying to convince, like, so, so some of the most skeptical people were publicists. They're the ones who artists hire to try and get in touch with the blogs because blogs never respond. So you hire a publicist because a publicist knows their phone number or they recognize the publicist's name. And those guys were some of the most skeptical. So early on, one of my right. tricks was to just, so I had, I had this cap where you could only send two submissions every four hours. And I I removed the cap for publicists. If you emailed me and we had a chat, I'd do you the favor of removing it. And so in a way I was like sweet talking the most skeptical component of my customer base to try and convince them that this wasn't the the evil disruptor they were worried about. And- Right, right. Today, they're, they're like the most eager consumers on this website. I'm not sure they're telling their clients <laughs> they, they, they love how effective it is and and even though the rejection rate is really high oh. um they keep coming back because they get a much higher response rate through submitHub than anyone has ever gotten emailing blogs
0: yeah it's streamlined i because mean, uh, without submitHub they have to do something akin to what you did to launch submit hub, which is find all of these email addresses and then just send email after email after email, which sucks.
1: And the, the irony is that uh, 95% of the time, I never got a response. And, and <laughs> like,
0: because yeah. these blogs
1: don't check their emails anymore. And <laughs> I, I found it so frustrating. And occasionally, like once or twice, I got responses from these blogs being like, yo, stop spamming me. And I'd be like, dude, no, <laughs> I'm not spamming you. I'm trying to be a friend. I'm trying to give you a way to actually earn $1,000 a month. And, right. like, I mean, at this point, sh- I mean, SubmitHub's paying out almost $1,000 a day to the blogs. And the guys who are on there have found it a life changing thing. But I get it. It's not for everyone. So I, I don't push too hard at that point. Yeah. But it does make me feel like shit. <laughs> uh, it does. It does. It does. It's yeah. really. I'm
0: pretty sensitive about any hackers too. If someone says something bad about it or, or something bad oh, happens,
1: dude. take it dude, personally. Yeah, I get it's your so baby. much of that with because yeah. um, the whole premise of SubmitHub is that people are constantly rejecting songs, and so I am right. on the receiving end of a lot of hate mail. And, yeah, uh, I've I've built up a bit of a tough skin to
0: it. Right. I mean, you have to. But just to go back, I, it's funny because I was impressed with myself for. For how I launched Indie Hackers, I think I found about 140 emails of different businesses online that I thought would share their revenue, and then I spent a few weeks sending all of these people personalized emails, but hearing that you sent 1,000 emails over the course of four months is crazy.
1: Well, I could have done it all with just one spreadsheet and emailed them all, but I, I decided that I wanted to hand-tailor every email and then follow up with a tweet, a Facebook message, and a SoundCloud message. So that's why that's why it took so long.
0: I did the same. And by by 40 emails, I was sick. By 80, I was ready to throw up. After like 100 or so, I was just like, I'm never sending another I email again in
1: my life. I think that's why it took four months. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can do 10 a day and just be like, all right, that was too much work. It takes yeah. it takes an hour of... An hour, which well, is not that much work, but like it's, it's draining repetitive work
0: uh-huh. for very little reward. Right. And this is... A perfect example of one of the things that people underestimate when they spend all their time on programming or they spend all their time copying the superficial details of a website like the guy who cloned submit hub i'm sure he just read your story and was like "Ugh, this is so easy i could do this in a week and he has no
1: idea how to get people to his website yeah well he's he's planning on charging pounds instead of dollars so maybe his pitch is that the blogs will earn more money but what he doesn't even know is like these chat rooms that I've built. And, and what's really cool about SubmitHub is that there's a community now. And um, I've already shown his website to all the blogs and they've had a fat chat about it. It's fun. <laughs> it's cool. And they love it. And they love picking it apart. And like, there's a community. It's really rad that blogs can talk to each other again because that's what kind of kicked it off. When I started blogging, there were these really cool networks where blogs could all chat to each other. And that disappeared for a couple of years. And now it's back. Yeah, we're not fighting with each other. We're all doing this together, and it's cool. And so yeah. it's it's been a really fun experience in that sense. But it's not done. It's not done. What did you use to uh, to build your chat rooms? Are you using Slack, or did you no, build your I built it I something scratch. else? Um, oh, cool. So what's what's really cool about Meteor is that it's constantly polling for updates, and you can subscribe to the database which makes it super simple to build a chat client. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it, I mean it's just checking for updates to that that database. So if you've got a chat between someone as soon as a new uh, piece of data gets entered into that query, it's just going to pop right through and you've got a you've got a chat room. And so um when did I code it? I coded it in June just cuz I the the reason I coded it was cuz I thought well the whole, the whole point of submit hub was to get rid of email submissions. So Mm -hmm. why when i approve a song does it go to an email it should just go to a chat right and what's rad about it is that at the end of the day you actually get to have a chat like a it's it i've modeled it to look like facebook messenger in a way but you're having this facebook messenger chat with the artist who created the song that you're approving because they don't have to hire a publicist anymore to contact you right so if anything it's like made the music community tighter but it's I think I alluded to this earlier it's it's eliminated this group speak and I think it's confusing a lot of the people who rely on blogs for A&R because the diversity has just blown up because any indie artist can now reach the blogs and on Indie Shuffle we're covering such small acts compared to what we used to we'd be like oh sweet a new disclosure track a new churches track right and um today when that stuff comes out we just roll our eyes we're like nah My queue's full, and that just sounds like the same old shit. Right.
0: Well, SubmitHub is great because, I mean, I was on there yesterday, and one of the features that you built into it is this chart section. So you can go to the chart section, and it ranks songs by how popular they are on SubmitHub, which really means how many blogs have they been submitted to and what is the acceptance rate of these songs. And I thought this is a great way to discover new music because I can just see how popular these songs are across the blogosphere. So... Have you ever thought about rolling that out into its own music discovery feature?
1: Oh gosh, um, honestly, I just it took me a day to code that, and I haven't given it much love since. It's it's cool. It's got the country. I'm looking at it now. It's got country flags next to each song. Yeah, it does. I've forgotten I did that, so I can see like the the number one track in indie rock comes from Belgium. That's rad. Um, no, I haven't thought about it. 'Cause because Indie Shuffle's my baby for that. What I what I was sort of doing here is giving a nod to Hype Machine and, and Hype Machine success is predicated on the popular charts and that being an indicator of what is relevant right now in the industry. And so I was just throwing this up as a quick nod to that because I thought, hey, this might serve as a good indicator to record labels, so that they can see just another source of information of of who's getting attention. And I've actually fielded some phone calls from Sony Music who have definitely been paying attention to this. I'm sure other people are too. And um, I myself never look at it. So that's because as a blogger, when I log in, I've got the submissions feed. Like right now, we've got more than 70 tracks waiting for us to review. And um, we have to respond to all of them within 48 hours. So right that's a ton it's it's like this constant feed of new music coming through and so one of the things i have to balance is uh fatigue amongst bloggers anyway i also have to balance fatigue on this interview right we've gone over right i know i was
0: just about to say we're over an hour and i've got like 10 other things i want to talk about and there's just no time uh Well, (laughs) we'll do
1: that in the second podcast Yes, let's do a second one. It would be awesome to have you on. Awesome. Only, only if the listeners are interested uh, and they're not too caught up on my... Um...
0: <laughs> I think they'll be interested. This is a really yeah. interesting interview. I learned a lot, and I think a lot of listeners will too. It was great having you on.
1: Cool, yeah. It was awesome. Um, let's do Drunk Indie Hackers history next time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll have some wine like you did.
1: and. No, no, it's too early for you. I get to do it, and you have to be the voice of reason.
0: Hey, if you enjoyed listening to this conversation, you should join Jason and me on the Hackers Forum, where we're discussing the episode and answering your questions too. Just visit www.ndhackers.com slash forum. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next time.